Good morning. Good morning. How are you all? When I say all good, y'all say all good. All good? All good. All good? All good. It's all God, so it's all good. If I need that, y'all are in trouble. <laughs> I'm grateful to be here. Uh, such a, it's my first time uh, seeing you guys' new building. Uh, this is incredible. Uh, Thomas is an incredible leader. Um, has an incredible gift for vision. Uh, he and I were reminiscing not long ago how he walked me through the original building, and uh, he told me, "Man, I see a sanctuary in here." And I said, "You know, all I see is all I see is a telecommunication building. I don't know. No, man, I see the people, man, and we're gonna have a nursery, and we're gonna be able to." I'm like, "Man, you got a gift, brother, because all I see is a telecommunication building. I see a Waffle House across the parking lot. Let's go, let's go grub a little bit." But to see how far God has taken you all so far, um, you all's ministry is one of the ministries I pray for every single day on my knees. So it's just grateful to see this room, and it looks like heaven in here. And that's what I'm excited about, to see the diverseness in this room and uh, see you all worship the name of the Lord together and sing songs like Christ Alone. Amen? Amen. So I'm grateful to, uh, uh, what do y'all call him, T-Set? <laughs> Pastor Settles. I, I know we're supposed to be formal here. That's, that's, that's my guy, but I'm uh, grateful for him and also his wife, Avita, and um, all of you who play a part in uh, getting me the opportunity to be here with you all this morning. If I seem like I'm nervous, it's because I am. Uh, public speaking is my greatest fear, um, but God has called me to face my fear uh, over 200 times a year, and uh, <laughs> it stinks. My desire was to uh, live my life corporately in a cubicle somewhere, uh, but God made me uh, 6'2 uh, and 323 pounds by the time I was 17, so he called me to a football field, and then he called me into sports ministry, and it's given me the platform I have now, but it, it keeps me uh, dependent on him, so I'm grateful for it. I'm going to continue to be nervous until we read the Word of God and pray together, so let's do it. Let's stand together. It is our custom to stand for the reading of the word. I'm going to be reading Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. I've been here in the Athens area since Friday, had the opportunity to pour into uh, thousands of young people at the mixed conference this weekend. Um, I do have a confession, and I'm going to make it in front of Pastor Settles. Uh, I ate at Weaver D's every day. <laughs> this week. <laughs> I always had a plan to go somewhere else, but I ended up, you know, going back to automatic. I just, I just had to have it again. And, uh, and I'm sure I'll make up for it this week during my workouts, but it was definitely worth it. Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. How many here believe the Bible is true? Let me see by show of hands. Okay, this is a good room to be in. What percentage do you believe is true? All of it. All of it. Let's read. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already over a mile from land, battered by the waves because the wind was against them. Around three in the morning, he came toward them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. They started tripping. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them. Have courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter answered him, command me to come to you on the water. Come, 
he said. And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him, and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those in the boat worshipped him and said, Truly, you are the Son of God. I don't specifically have a title for this message, but I definitely want to talk to you, all of us, about getting out of the boat. And when I refer to the boat uh, for the rest of this morning, I'm going to be referring to our comfort zones, right? And uh, whatever that is for each and every one of us individually and maybe collectively as a church, I want to challenge and encourage everyone by the time we leave these doors in a few moments to be inspired that, you know what, we're going to make a declaration and a commitment to get out of the boat. We're not going to try to get out of the boat because we all know, especially athletes, trying is dying. We're going to commit to getting out of the boat. Uh, I want to share my one football stat with you while you're standing. I've never practiced or played on a football field that I didn't first pray on. I'll say that again. God gave me the chance to play the game of football at every level, high school, college, and National Football League. This is the one football stat I share everywhere I go. I've never practiced or played on a football field without first praying. Why? I played the game of football to honor God. I understood it was a platform he gave me, and whether I was in a win or a loss, whether in victory or defeat, whether I was playing in Miami or out in Honolulu, Hawaii, in every field I played on in between, never have I practiced or played on any field of competition without first praying. Why? Uh, because I understand it's all about him. So I ask you all to pray with me like my teammates used to pray with me in the middle of the field that God would have his way because I don't care about you all leaving here with an awesome impression of how cool Shep is although my swag is serious I want you to leave with an impression of what God can do into, through, and for your lives individually, but collectively as a culture, as a community, and as a generation. So I ask you all to pray with me that God would have his way. Would you join hands with the person to your left and your right? Because oh, we look so much better together. Go ahead. I love it. Yeah. We're going across the aisle. There it is. I love it. Man, y'all look so good together. I love it. Man. Fellas, if you're smart, you sat by the right girl, you get to hold her hand right now. <laughs> Trying to hook you up. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and I thank you, and I ask that in the name of Jesus. You would help me communicate with clarity, with passion, with power. You know, I'm not all that great. I'm just some dirt that you've been good to. But if you speak from my heart, I'll tell this group exactly what you say. Holy Spirit, come in and dominate this place. Like the greatest defense on earth, I pray no one will exit the doors without being convicted, converted, challenged, changed, or reclaimed for your kingdom. We pray this now. Cut this word into hundreds of ways so it's cut to the continuity of every situation in this room. Speak to our hearts, Lord God. And we'll be careful when the dust settles and the smoke clears to tell the world it was you that did it. We did not do it on our own. So we stand united in eager expectation for all things that are about to be accomplished and revealed. If you agree with this prayer, repeat after me. Say, bless us. Bless us. Make us a blessing. Us a blessing. In, Jesus name. in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Make some noise for the Lord before you sit down. Come on. I didn't say make some noise for Shep. I said make some noise for the Lord before you sit down. Come on. Yeah. That's good. 
I don't get a chance to watch much television, but when I do, uh, I'm usually flipping channels in a hotel after my events are done and I'm getting ready to travel the next day. I was flipping channels several years ago and I saw this show on television. I don't know what the show was, but it was kind of a show where it was an hour-long show and there's a bunch of drama that happens during the show. This specific episode of the show that I happened to turn on to, in the very beginning of the episode, there was an explosion. There's an explosion. They featured, they, they focused in on a few different characters. And these two uh, women specifically were friends. They were talking and then this terrorist attack happens and there's this explosion in this major city and they rush all these people to the hospital. These specific women, there's two women specifically that drew my attention. One name was Karen, the other name was Lisa, Karen and Lisa. Well, Karen has significant injuries that were very visible. There's blood everywhere, shrapnel in her hair. They get her into the ambulance. Her friend Lisa jumps into the ambulance with Karen. They rush her to the ER. They get into the ER and immediately folks start trying to check on them. Nurses run up to them and the team gets together and they know she's going to surgery immediately. So they're trying to get uh, and take care of Karen. So all of a sudden, Lisa, uh, a nurse walks up to Lisa and said, man, what about you? We need to check you out. Are you okay? She said, no, I'm fine. Just look after my friend. And they send Karen into surgery. They follow a few more characters throughout the episode. Eventually, they get back to the two. Karen comes out of surgery successfully. Lisa is sitting in the room that they bring Karen into. Lisa's been on the phone calling family and friends, telling them they're okay because they knew they worked down in that district where this bombing was, telling them they don't know what happened. Eventually, Karen's able to speak later in the episode, and they're talking to each other about how crazy it was. And what do you remember? I remember this. What do you remember? I remember this happening. This is so crazy. They even watched on the television for a while while it was reported and trying to figure out who committed this crime. And they were just grateful to be alive. They were just grateful that they survived that experience. Almost towards the end of the episode, Karen is in bed and she's flipping through channels still. Her friend Lisa is sitting in the chair next to the bed with her purse in her lap. Karen is flipping through the channels and she gets a little bored. And she says, Lisa, I, I really hate this show. Lisa, do you ever watch this? Lisa, do you... And she reached over to tap her friend Lisa on the shoulder. And when she touched her on her shoulder, Lisa fell over out of the chair and into the floor. Lisa died right there in the hospital room. Lisa was so focused on getting her friend help, which was an honorable deed, that she was right in the place where she could have been helped, right in the place where she could have got the assistance that she needed. Because everyone could see clearly that Karen had issues. She was bleeding. She had shrapnel. There was things going on. This girl needed some attention. But there was things internally going on with Lisa that she overlooked and she missed. I'm going somewhere. That's why I love speaking in rooms like this right here. Now, I love getting a chance to speak on death row and going to the lost and doing evangelistic messages, going to countries where people never heard the name of Jesus. But I think it's so important for us to reach the reached. It's so important to be in rooms just like this one where we've learned to put on our Sunday smile and just go through the motions and it's church and we're just doing church as usual. All the while we're dying inside. All the while we're miserable inside. All the while there's things going on. And you guys look nice. I've complimented you many times already this morning, right? But please don't think you fooled me because I know that you could be dressed up and messed up. What I'm saying is not only is it a tragedy that Lisa died, but Lisa died in the hospital. It's not only a tragedy that we're using, losing our young people, losing our fathers, losing husbands, losing moms, losing, losing uh, uh, couples and relationships and families. The sadder part is we're losing them right here in the church. 
right under our noses, where everyone has to be at a funeral or watch something on television and say, I never knew. I didn't know anything was going on. I thought she was fine. She was always looking out for everybody else. He was always making sure everyone else was straight. I thought he was good. And the reality is we aren't. We aren't good. All of us are as all of us are in great need of the Savior as much as we were when we first came to Christ, when we first bent our knee, when we first experienced the Savior. That's why we're here. We're in continual need of him. Touch us again, God. Do something new in our lives. Lord, may I never get used to you. May I never just continue to get comfortable and just say, you know, this is my thing. This is where I sit in church. This is where I park. This is the place I come, and I, I always drink the same latte before I make my way to church, and then we always go to the same restaurant after, and I watch the games during the season, and in the off-season, we go do these things, and everything is just the mundane, you know what I mean? Going through the motions, and my heart has been removed. You'll be amazed the things that people can get comfortable with. But the reality is you can't be casual with life because you'll end up a casualty. I grew up in a day and age where people used to be here today and gone tomorrow. But we live in a day and age now where people are here today and gone today. So we need to value and understand that the stakes are much higher. Life is not a game. It is a battlefield. And the reality is, as believers, we battle on three different fronts. How many fronts? Three. All right now. I'm a black preacher in the South. You got to talk back to me. How, <laughs> how many fronts do we battle on? Three specific fronts, guys. As a believer, there's three areas we battle in. The first place we have to battle is the world. Anybody know that already? You say, I've experienced that before. I got to battle the world. Now, there's a way you can help me for the rest of my talk. If you're feeling me at any point, I'll start with the ladies. Ladies, if I say anything that you connect to, if I say anything you're feeling, you say, man, this dude is all in my business. He must be following me on Facebook. If I say anything you're feeling, ladies, I want you to let me know that by saying, mm-hmm. Okay? So for the rest of our time here this morning, if I say anything that connects to you, you're going to let me know that by saying what? Okay, fellas, y'all my heart now. Fellas, if you're feeling me at any point in this talk, you say, Shep, I needed to hear that. Shep, I know somebody's dealing with that. Shep, I can relate to that. I'm feeling you on that, Shep. If I say anything you connect to, fellas, I want you to let me know that by saying, hey. <laughs> so, fellas, if I say anything real, you're going to let me know that by saying what? Hey. hey. So the first area that we got to battle is the world. Man, all you got to do is turn on television, listen to the radio, read a newspaper, go online, go on social media. You see, we have incredible problems in this world. My favorite Billy Graham quote is, if God doesn't judge America, he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. That's the state that we live in. That's the condition of our world and our country. There's calamity. There's darkness all around. People are doing evil deeds and think they're doing God a favor. We live in a day and age, and I challenge all the guys I get in front of and tell them if a terrorist could die for a lie, a Christian must live for the truth. But it's not easy because we're battling with this world. We live in a world where, pe where people say, well, what's our issue, you know? Do we have a race relations issue here? Is it a social problem, you know what I mean? Is it sexism, you know, are too many people homophobic? Like, what's the problem here? What's going on? What's our problem in our world? Our problem is the same problem it's been since the beginning, since the fall of man. We have a sin problem in our country. We live in this country where people hate God and they love sin. And that's the issue, the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. That's what we're dealing with. And that's the world that you all send your children to school in. That's the world that you got to go to work in. That's the world that you got to build a strong marriage and family in. It is a battle. 
with this world every single day. And then right after battling the world, guess what else we got to battle? Our flesh. Now I got to battle my flesh, you know what I mean? Even when I want to do right, even if I survive the world, I still got to deal with world, world me. You know what I mean? My greatest enemy is in uh, me, my flesh, that passion to feel. I just want to be happy, you know? Even when the music tells us, man, to get the money, the money in the cars, the cars and the clothes and the women, I suppose, Drake told us that's successful. But the reality is success means nothing if heaven doesn't know your name. So now we got to battle the world. Now I got to battle my flesh. And we still got one dude we still ain't even mentioned yet. Who else we got to battle? The devil. Goodness gracious. I'm battling on three different fronts. And the reality is, if I'm going to survive the game of life, if I'm going to understand that it is a battlefield, I need Jesus. I need who? Say the name. I need Jesus. Authentic Christianity for us, it will cause us to be different. We've got to be uncommon. We've got to be willing to be different to be game changers. The reality is so many of us want to look like the world. We're trying to fit in. You should stand out. There should be something different with the way you love. There should be something different by the way you do life and the way you do community. We should be different. Stop allowing, stop calling what makes you unique a flaw. God made you who you are and wired you how you are for a specific purpose. And I know it's for your good, but more importantly, for his glory. The, rea- the truth is, prosperity is a terrible teacher. Terrible. Horrible teacher. Terrible teacher. The worst teacher ever, prosperity. No. See, most people, they say, especially in sports, they say, you know, is it in you? You know, you got to go through some tough things. Deal with adversity. It'll put it in you. No. Adversity doesn't put it in you. It squeezes it out. You find out about yourself when you deal with life, when you deal with these storms of life. It's been said that everybody is either in the middle of a storm, just coming out of a storm, or getting ready to go into a storm. But the reality is it's a part of life, and that's the area where we truly know what I truly believe. You want to know what you believe? Man, get that phone call that, you know what, the, the, the company is going to have to let you go. You want, to let you, you want to know what you believe? Watch that person you thought would never walk out on you walk away. When you deal with the hardships, the trials, the tribulations of life, that's when we truly see what's inside of us and what we truly believe. And these storms, none of us gets to get out of life free car. We all have to face them. So what does the fruit of your life say? What does the fruit of your life say that you believe in? When you face these adversities in life, God calls us to love not just those who love us, love our enemies. Treat those well who treat us poorly. Some of us are barely tolerating our enemy and our neighbor when God has called you to love them as you love yourself. As a believer, our lives should be filled to overflowing with faith, love, and hope. Does the fruit of your life say this? Trust me, coming to church don't make you a Christian. Just like standing in a garage don't make you a Ferrari. <laughs> what does your fruit say? What's happening from the inside out? There are seven specific things that reminders that I wrote down based on this scripture. So we have Jesus. Jesus uh, sends out the disciples. He sends them out. He sends them out and he goes up on a mountain to pray. Just speaking geographically, Jesus would have been in proper position to see exactly where they were, right? Now they're tripping. They're in the storm. You know what I mean? Their boat is rocking. They're nervous. But Jesus sees exactly where they are and he sees exactly where you are. Not just where you're sitting on your pew, but where you are in your life. That thing that we talked about, the condition, whichever friend in that hospital you are, whether your issues are internal, whether they're visible by others, Jesus sees you and he cares. 
He loves you with an everlasting and eternal love. He loved me when I was unlovable. He reached me when I was unreachable. He forgave me when I did the unforgivable. And I want you to know Jesus sees exactly where you are. Scripture tells us as we continue to read that, man, after he dismissed the crowd, Jesus went up. He sent them out. After a while, these people, they're out here. um, They said around three in the morning, he came toward them walking on the sea. Let me be honest with you. My mind does not understand how he did this, but my heart does believe it. Jesus Christ, the God man, the son of God, comes towards the disciples walking on the sea. And before we judge them for starting to trip, with your saved self. (laughs) If Jesus came walking towards any of us on water, trust me, we also would be what? Tripping. I'd be tripping also. Lord, I knew you said you could do it, but what's going on right now? What is happening right now? He comes walking towards them. The first note of the seven things I wanted you to write down, seven reminders as we step out of our comfort zone. The first thing is God often places choice blessings right outside the borders of our comfort zone and then bids for us to come get them. Nothing significant is going to happen in your comfort zone. Man, if God wants to do something mighty in or around your life or through this ministry, more than likely he's going to require us to get uncomfortable. Truth be told, if you're following Jesus, you probably have gotten used to, you've gotten comfortable being uncomfortable, right? Challenging you, your ways of thinking, challenging the norms, understanding he wants to do something different. Jesus, man, he broke all the rules. I mean, from the way he got here to what happened after he left, right? Born of a virgin. He leaves here, dies, and in three days, God raises Jesus from the dead. Woo! That's good news for all of us as believers. But the reality is he broke the rules. He's raising people from the dead, healing the blind. He's doing all these things that are not supposed to be done. But the reality is, man, that's the truth for a believer. We're often going to have to get used to coming outside of our comfort zone. The second thing was to receive what you've never had. You have to do what you've never done. And some of us have been doing the same things over and over and expecting a different result. And the reality is God is saying, he sent this preacher here just to tell you this morning, it's time to do something different. Say the word different. You got to be willing to do something different and get out of that comfort zone. The third thing is Jesus comes to them walking on the water. I want you to consider something for a second. The very thing that was troubling the disciples, Jesus already had it. Under his what? Feet. I love the young lady. She said it today. God didn't give us a spirit of fear. He gave us what? Power, love, sound mind. What did he give us? Power, love, sound mind. Jesus didn't give us a spirit of fear. That thing that is troubling you, that thing that is worrying you, that thing that you're wondering, is it going to take me out? Is it about to overtake me? I want to give you comfort this morning, beloved, that Jesus already has it under his what? Feet. If he's not tripping, why are you? See, during a storm, the wrong question is why. The right question is where. You need to find out where God is and get there. You hear what I'm saying? I'll say that again. The wrong question in a storm is why. The right question is what? Where? So as you're dealing with your family issues, if that storm is in your career, if that storm is personally or professionally, start, stop asking why. Start asking where. God, where are you in this situation? God, I see this. My mother got this diagnosis. I'm not, I wasn't ready for it, but where are you in this situation? God, where are you working right now? I need to get where the Savior is. And in this situation, for these scared disciples in the boat, Jesus was on the sea. And for some of our situations, I'm telling you, I know he's not in your comfort zone. He's out of the boat, and he's waiting for you to be courageous and bold enough to step out of that boat. Jesus comes to them walking on the sea. They start tripping. He says, hey, Y'all relax. It's me. 
And Peter, he has so much in common with many of us. Peter said, Lord, did y'all hear his, his question? If it's you. He didn't say, Lord, because, oh, it's you. My fault. I'll stop tripping now. He said, no, Lord, if it's you, give me the opportunity to come out onto the sea with you. And many of us have dealt with that, right, in the middle of our storm. Like, I know I'm going through something. I knew this is a part as a believer. But the question is, Lord, I'm not even sure if this is you, right? I'm not even sure what's going on. But now I've identified that the Lord is calling me out of my comfort zone. I know where he is. I know this storm won't last always, but the reality is God is calling me out. So Jesus, Peter says, Lord, if it's you, bid for me to come. Jesus gives him one word. What's the word? Come. What does he say? Come. Peter heard one word from Jesus, and he stepped out of a boat and became the second man ever recorded to walk on water. One word. We have the whole Bible and we won't step out of a boat. We have the entire love letter, even the entire promise. We know what has happened and we know what's to come, and we still won't step out in faith. Peter heard one word. Oh, that's all I need. I'm out of here. The entire word of God. Some of us come Sunday morning after Sunday morning. Devotion after devotion. Bible study after Bible study. Small group after small group. Meme after meme. Stop posting those annoying memes over and over. But we do these things. We hear the word over and over, and none of us will act on it. We won't take action. We won't trust God and take him at his word. Let me ask you this question. This is a question I ask myself all the time when I'm facing fear. I'm not saying that you won't be in moments where you're dealing with fear, because I have them all the time. There's one thing where you having fear. It's another thing with fear having you. You hear what I'm saying? So the question I ask myself often, well, I'm dealing with people, circumstances, a life decision, Lord, do... I have to ask myself, Chef, do you believe Jesus is who he said he is? And do you believe he can do what he said he can do? That's what it boils down to. Those are the times when I'm truly troubled, troubled and filled with fear rather than being filled with faith. Because I'm doubting if he is who he said he is. Or I'm doubting whether he could do what he said he could do. That's where you found your foundation. I encourage and inspire you. Find your girding up right there. That's where you find your strength. Remind yourself. Try it. I'm telling you now. I've been at this thing for a minute. Try it. Get into a mirror. Jesus is who he said he is, and he can do what he said he can do. And every time you say it, it'll build a little more courage like a muscle. It'll give you a little more confidence in reminding yourself of who he is and what he said he's going to do in and through your life. Jesus has what's troubling us under his feet. Here's the, the fourth thing that I wrote down. Trust what God says over what you see. That's going to be important for a lot of believers. Because we see this storm, we see this issue, we see all these things, we see what science says, we see what uh, society says, we see what they're saying on, on, on social media, we see what they're seeing on different outlets, sometimes even our, you know, on our college campuses, right? We hear what our professors are saying, and they got all these degrees, and, and they make so much sense on so many other points, but now they're doubting, doubting the deity of Christ. They're doubting if he, they, they start to teach you about things about truth being relative, right? You know what I mean? As long as you don't, it doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you believe something. That's not what Jesus taught. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No man's going to the Father but by me. What does that mean? That means either Jesus Christ is the Son of God or he's a liar. That means either he's the Son of God or he's a crazy man. He left no room for interpretation. Imagine how many debates and arguments we could have on university campuses all over the world if that day Jesus would have been quoted and saying, I am a way, I am a truth, I am a life. There are many ways to get to my Father. I just love for you guys to try my way. No. 
Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. That means no matter how you use, whether you use Waze, whether you use your GPS, whether you use uh, MapQuest, if, if your destination is heaven and it's to spend eternity with God, there is only one route. You must go through Jesus Christ. And that same Savior is out on the sea, and we have to trust what he says over what we see. I'll say that again. Trust what God says over what we see. See, because we should get our values from the word and not the world. Y'all tracking with that? I got to get my values from the word of God. How can you get them from them if you're not spending any time in the word? Who here believes they knew, know someone or knew someone who is truly a godly man or woman? Let me see by show hands. Like, seriously, in my life, I know a person specifically. I truly believe shut with my whole Let me keep still see those hands, that this person was a godly individual. Okay, you can put your hands down. Let me tell you a, a secret. Nobody becomes godly on accident. No, seriously. Nobody wakes up in the morning, stretches, walks past a mirror one day and goes, wow, I'm pretty godly. No, people become a godly man or woman by spending time with, guess who? God. And if you want to be all that God is calling you to be, if you want to continue to develop that muscle, you got to trust God and get out there on the sea with the Savior, trusting what he said over what he see. I can't trust what he said if I don't know what he said. So we've got to read our Bible every day. How often? Every day. How often? Every day. Verse point five. Whenever you decide to step out of the boat, there will be others with less faith trying to talk you out of it. I'm going to just keep it real. And it could be church members. Many times when God calls you to do something uncommon, something radical, there's going to be other people, scared disciples in the boat. Let me remind y'all, he, he wasn't in a boat with a bunch of heathens. He was in the boat with disciples. If I make it relevant to this day and age, he was in the boat with church members. He was in the boat with other believers. And here it is, Jesus calls him to do something exceptional. He's in the boat, they're tripping. It's the same Jesus they say they're madly in love with. They've dropped everything and decided to follow him. He comes to them and they start tripping. But he's not alone. Many of us, God has spoken to some of us. God has come to us with an open door, an opportunity. God has come to us with a new challenge, an adventure. And what happens? We start tripping. Oh, no, that can't, the devil is a liar. That can't be the Lord speaking to me. Uh-uh. I need to adopt a what? You're calling me to serve where? But No. We've got to trust what God said over what we see. And we got to know that when we decide to step out, there are going to be some people who don't get it, who don't understand what God's telling you to do. He's in the boat with all these other disciples. And I can imagine Matthew, you know what I mean? He's in there. According to my calculations, Peter, you probably don't want to step out. It's probably going to be dangerous. It's not going to work. And we know Doubting Thomas's resume, right? Oh, no, Peter, please don't step out. Oh, don't do it. Oh, it's not going to be good for you, brother. But he had to disown. Hey, hey, you know what? I've got to dismiss the defeated dialogue. That's point six, right? Dismiss the defeated dialogue. And let me tell you, it won't just be haters. It won't just be enemies. Sometimes it'll be loved ones. Sometimes, like we just said, it'll be other disciples. Can I tell you a secret? Sometimes the devil will lie to you in your own voice. Won't he? In your own head. And some of us, that's our issue. I got to get out of my head, Shep. He'll lie to you in your own voice. Oh, yeah. I, I, no, I, I'm not interested in something like that. What? You've been dreaming about that for 10 years. God opens the door. And, oh, yeah, it's, the timing's not right. You know, that doesn't agree with my spirit. You know what I mean? Start lying to yourself in your own voice. But the truth is, you know what? 
I've got to dismiss the defeated dialogue. I've got to get rid of the stinking thinking, and I've got to refocus on the sweetest name. Say the name. Jesus. Refocus on the sweetest love. Who, who owns it? Jesus. And we've got to make sure that we keep our mind on the sweetest victory. Who's that belong to? Jesus. They have arguments all the time about the greatest. Who's the greatest athlete of all time? Some say Jim Brown. Some say Herschel Walker. Some say Deion Sanders. Some say Bo Jackson. Man, Muhammad Ali said, I am the greatest. He was a liar. Jesus Christ was the greatest man who's ever lived. And that great Jesus has a great plan for each and every one of us. So Peter goes out. He steps out onto the water. And we, said, we heard it in the verses today. He begins to pay attention to the wind and the rain. And he began to sink. I want to tell you something. No matter where you are in your walk with Christ, anytime you lose focus, your focus shifts from Jesus, no matter what it shifts to, you're going to start to what? Sink. So if you found yourself sinking in a specific area of your life, let me just tell you, it's because you've lost focus. I've stopped focusing on Jesus. Anytime you stop focusing on Jesus in any specific area, young man, young lady, sir, ma'am, you got to get your focus back right. Good thing about it is Peter knew who, who to call. Peter knew who to pray to. He said, Lord, save me. He didn't say, thus thou hither, thither, four score and seven years ago. He didn't say, I have a dream deeply rooted in an American dream. No, he said, Lord, save me. He knew who to call on. And he knew who could come to his rescue. Whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What I love about the verse is it said immediately. That was the next word. Immediately. It didn't say Jesus. No, nah, no. Nah. You thought you could do it by yourself. No, nah, I'm going to let you stay in there for a little while. Get a feel for that. How you like them apples? No. The Bible said immediately he reached down and grabbed him from where he was and pulled him up. And Jesus wants to pull you up from where you are right now. How can he heal it, though, unless you reveal it? I'll say that again. How can he heal it unless you reveal it? What is it that's been holding you back? What is it that God is calling you out of and away from? What is it that you need to let go of? Some of us, it's things. Some of us, it's people. And they may not be bad things. Sometimes it's just the tyranny of the urgent, right? The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, since we have such a large crowd of witnesses, let us therefore lay aside every weight, listen to this word, and the sin. It didn't say every weight of sin. It said every weight and the sin. That means that, that so easily ensnares us. And Rome with endurance, the race set before us. That means you could have a weight in your life that's not necessarily a sin. It's just not a God. There's a difference between a good thing and a God thing. Y'all with me? So asking myself, am I doing my thing in this? There's a lot of people, right, who are doing good work. I'm going to do this for you, God. I'm going to do this for you, God. Oh, man, Lord. Oh, man, I'm about to go. I mean, I'm going to school here. I'm about to go get this degree, and I'll make this money, and I'm going to just, man, I'm going to give to these functions for you, and I'm going to serve in this way, and you haven't consulted with the Lord at all about what he wants for you. No, you stay out of it, Lord. We don't need to talk. I got this figured out. No, I need to seek God about his plan and his purpose for my life. Here's the seventh and final point. Y'all ready? Here we go. So, We'll, go on. we'll rewind a little bit. So Peter was in the boat. He had a decision to make. The decision that you all are going to have to make this morning as well. Each and every one of us. So Peter's standing in the boat. He has an invitation from the Savior to join him on the sea. Scared disciples behind him. Jesus Christ in front of him. Peter had to decide, and every one of us have to decide, whether we're going to be a boat talker or a water walker. You smell me? That's the decision you got to make. That's what it's about this morning before we pray. Am I going to be a boat talker and just be a Christian in name only? 
Christians just verbally, because authentic Christianity is not just verbal. It must be visible. We must see something. Jesus doesn't want to come into your heart and just rearrange the furniture. He wants to blow the house up. But you've got to decide. I can't decide for you. There are no grandchildren of God. Only children. What am I saying? Doesn't matter how long your father was a deacon. Doesn't matter how long your mama's been walking, working for the Lord. Doesn't matter how long big mama prayed for you. You must know Jesus for your what? Self. Am I going to be a boat talker or a water walker? Do I have the courage? Do I have the faith to get uncomfortable and join the Savior on the sea? Now, this is the part of the message usually when the preacher said, do you know Jesus? <laughs> I know y'all know Jesus. We're in the South. We're in Athens, Georgia. You're under the great preaching of Thomas Settles. Of course you know Jesus. But many of us know Jesus like we know Michael Jordan. What's your name, man? Hogan. You know Michael Jordan, don't you? Of course I know Michael Jordan. Shep, he grew up in North Carolina, man. Got cut from the JV basketball team. Went to the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill. Won a national championship with Dean Smith. Drafted by the Chicago Bulls. Won six NBA championships, Shep. Because you know Michael Jordan, but Michael Jordan doesn't know you. Jesus says in John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Think about the language of that sentence right quick. Wouldn't it have flowed better if Jesus would have said, my sheep hear my voice, they know me, and they follow me? But Jesus quoted and said in John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice. Listen to the middle part. I know them, and they follow me. Probably the scariest verse in all of Scripture for a believer is in Matthew chapter 7 at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do many miracles in your name? Didn't I wear that WWJD bracelet in your name? Didn't I put a fish on the back of my car in your name? Didn't I Tebow and, and bend the knee after I scored in your name? And he'll say, depart from me, workers of iniquity. What's the accusation? I never what? Knew you. It sounds like relationship is important to God. So before I pray, the important question may not be, do you know Jesus? <laughs> the more important question may be, does Jesus, like soldier boy, know you? Does Jesus know you? He wants to. He wants to know you in a personal way. He wants to get you out of that boat and onto the sea with him. But like Peter, you got to pray that prayer yourself. It's got to be from your voice to God's ears. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for this time to chat. And I don't know what you're calling us out of, but I know what you're calling us towards. For each person, that's something different in this room. But we know you're calling us to, to yourself, to a closer relationship with you. If anybody in this room that doesn't know you in a personal way, I pray, Lord God, that they would consider praying a prayer, something like this. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior. I know I can't save myself. Your word says, if I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God the Father raised him from the dead, I shall be saved. Lord Jesus, I'm saying it now. I believe. Come into my heart. Change my game from the inside out. I want to live for you. Help me to turn from my sin and follow after you. No greater love has any man than one that would lay down his life 
for his friends. Thank you for laying down your life for me and giving me the opportunity to have eternal life because of the finished work of the cross and Christ being raised from the dead. Woo! If you're in this room and you prayed this prayer, I believe that you have just been born again. Jesus Christ heard your prayer. And if you meant it from your heart, he'll respond to you right where you are. With your head, body, and eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer, you meant it in your heart. I just want you to, you know, acknowledge that by just lifting your hand real quick. Say, I prayed that prayer. I meant it in my heart. I see you, brother. Amen. I see you, sister. That's strong. People that prayed it, I see you, sis. That's strong. People that prayed that prayer, meant it in their heart. That's good. I want to challenge you, encourage you, and the pastor's going to come after this, but I want to remind you, your relationship with Jesus is personal, but it's not private. It's important. After you encounter Jesus, he wants you to encounter his people. You got to get connected to a Bible-based church where you can grow in your faith. Start learning what it means to be all God is calling you to. If you're in this room and you say, I know, Shep, God's calling me out of my comfort zone. There's something specifically. The Holy Spirit just let me know specifically. And I knew I'm feeling conviction right now. Conviction is a big word, but in its simplest form, it means the Holy Spirit letting you know you need a little more of something or a little less of something. And if you say, I just hear it clearly in my heart, I know there's something specifically that God is calling me out. There's a boat I'm in, but I'm ready to get out of it. If that's you, with your head, body, and eyes closed, I just want you to lift your hand. You say, I acknowledge there's something, there's a comfort zone, there's something specific that I knew as God just spoke to me through this word, that I'm ready to get out of my comfort zone and take on a new challenge. Trust him and get on the sea with the Savior. Lord God, I pray for these hands that have lifted, these people that say, not only are they going to, not only do they hear your call, give them the courage and boldness to step out, stay committed, stay faithful to this committed, this decision they've made to get out of their comfort zone. And go be all that you're calling them to be. We thank you for all that has been accomplished and revealed this morning. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.